Welcome to Exposing Mold, the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, an expert researcher in nanoparticles. Dr. Gotti, thank you so much for your time. Would you grace us with an introduction to your work? Yes, it is a pleasure to to have uh, this connection with you. I am a physicist. I have a degree in physics, but I attended also a a school of specialization in biomedical technologies, bioengineering. And I performed my career inside the, the university, in different universities. So I have an academic background and uh, I had uh, the possibility to perform research, scientific research. Thanks uh, also to grants uh, from uh, Italy, but uh, mostly from the European Commission. In fact, uh, I uh, had uh, two important uh, uh, grants uh, in nanopathology and in nanotoxicology. Uh, nanopathology is a, a new word that I invented uh, as a title of my first uh, research project for the European Commission, project that uh, I shared with the University of Cambridge, University of Mainz in Germany, and with Philips. So it was a very important uh, study um, that uh, focused uh, the attention on a new diagnostic tool in order to verify the exposure that uh, people can uh, have uh, in the working place uh, or outside uh, in uh, the uh, urban uh, environment, uh, in uh, urban contamination. (laughs) And uh, uh, this uh, project uh, um, was aimed to uh, identify this pollution inside the pathological tissues inside uh, uh, human but also animal tissues and after we uh, tried also to uh, identify this contamination in food uh, in water uh, in uh, fish uh, and uh, this uh, work uh, this study that started in 2002 is still operating. In fact, now we continue to verify the presence of a contamination in cancerogenic tissues, pathological tissues affected by mysterious diseases, and we help many ill persons also because. Uh, we identify this pollution uh, inside uh, the tissues, uh, bioptic tissues, autopsic tissues, and so on. We verify the morphology dimension, but also we identify the chemical composition. And uh, we are able to trace uh, this uh, contamination in the environment uh, where the patient uh, lived. And, uh, it is uh, interesting because uh, it, it is a, a detective investigation and sometimes uh, someone could be uh, Sherlock Holmes <laughs> because uh, we are uh, able to discover uh, some uh, episodes uh, of contamination that uh, the patient uh, didn't remember, uh, but uh, this contamination uh, uh, was internalized and uh, was disseminated in uh, all the body. Now we are studying uh, also some neurological diseases. 
so we see this pollution inside the brain, inside the spermatic fluid. Uh, um, and uh, it is a new scenario, and uh, it is uh, a new approach to some diseases. Also because uh, medical doctors knows uh, uh, very well diseases uh, induced uh, by bacteria, by parasites, uh, by viruses, uh, of course. But uh, they are unable to understand diseases generated or triggered by an environmental pollution. And uh, we know that the World Health Organization uh, two years ago defined the, the impact of uh, this uh, pollution on uh, human health and uh, uh, they verified that every year there are more than 7,000 uh, dead people for uh, environmental pollution. But uh, th there is uh, a, a gap between uh, this contamination and uh, the understanding of the effect, the impact that this contamination uh, makes on uh, human health. But uh, the new problem is due to the tightness of this pollution. Uh, until uh, 50 years ago, the environmental pollution was composed of micro-sized particles. And uh, we know that the micro-sized particles can be nailed, but they remain in uh, the lungs. And, uh, they generated pulmonary symptoms and pulmonary diseases. Probably someone remembers that in 1956, more than 10,000 people died in London due to the pea soup. The pea soup, that it is the English name, of the pollution generated in London from the carbon residues of the combustions of the home heating, but also industrial, industrial productions. So we understood that this pollution has an impact on the human body, but now this contamination is different completely different because it is also nano size. It means below one macro size. And this pollution is a short contamination of the body. You must understand that if you inhale particles of 0.1 micron, not a 10 micron, not a one micron, but below one micron means 100 nanometers. These particles, when go inside the lungs, in 60 seconds, they can cross the lung barrier and they go into the blood circulation. And after one hour, they can reach the liver, the kidneys, and so on but also other districts uh, like uh, the gonads, like uh, the brain. Then it is a, a problem because when they are inside, they have immediately a, an interaction with uh, the, the blood, the cells, the proteins, uh, and so on. But when they are inside, it is difficult <laughs> to eliminate them. The human body has no processes of elimination of uh, destroy this pollution also because uh, this pollution uh, was uh, generated at very high temperature so it, it is very strong it is sometimes it is chemically inert 
So it is difficult to that the body, the immune system can react in a proper way. There is also another peculiarity of the nanoparticles. They can cross also the cell membrane and they have the possibility to go inside the cytoplasm. And they are not toxic as chanide, as molecules. They are nanoparticles. So they can remain there in the cytoplasm, but in many cases, this cell has the possibility to reproduce itself, to go into mitosis. So the nuclear membrane disappears. So the chromatin, the DNA, can be divided into parts and they migrate in, into opposite parts of the cell, so they will form two new cells. But at that time, the nanoparticles inside the cytoplasm have the possibility to interact directly with DNA, as that it is a new problem, <laughs> because they can induce damages, only damages to the DNA but uh, it can be able to reproduce itself, to form a new proteins uh, thanks to mRNA, RNA messenger, but some damages can be uh, reproduced uh, in RNA and they can be ineradicable. So that, uh, it is a new problem, that it is a base for cancer cancerogenic effect, but that is also the base of a new nanomedicine. That is the new problem because in the case of the accidental dissemination of nanoparticles, we have the free entrance of accidental nanoparticles. That is a problem. In the case of nanomedicine, we will have the possibility to construct to synthesize new nanoparticles in order to drive a suitable mechanism for the health of the cells or something. That it is a theory, but sometimes in practice you have other effects. It is a new science. And I think that in future we can have good results uh, for, for this possibility, but now we have bad results due to the accidental entrance of foreign bodies inside the cell. And we have the possibility of free new interactions with proteins, with organelles, and so on. That it is the novelty. And uh, with uh, my uh, research project, uh, we verified uh, that uh, the interaction with DNA uh, is possible. I have images of uh, DNA chromatin in contact with nanoparticles. In that case, where nanoparticles uh, engineer nanoparticles that I introduce, uh, I help. I help to introduce inside the cell because the entrance of these nanobodies is free. Also, we verified the interaction of these nanoparticles accidentally disseminated the environment with the plants, uh, with the animals that can eat uh, 
uh, green grass uh, polluted with nanoparticles. So this uh, pollution can be uh, very, very dangerous for human life in general. And uh, now uh, we are studying in, inside the, my laboratory, not uh, at the university because uh, I retired from the university, um, and uh, we are studying uh, mysterious diseases. Um, mysterious diseases, it means uh, uh, diseases uh, that uh, are not uh, verified by the, the official medicine. Probably you know that there are some orphan diseases. It means uh, single cases of uh, strange symptoms and uh, sometimes uh, they nominate these uh, diseases uh, syndromes. It is a collection of uh, symptoms not never described in uh, the uh, books of medicine. But in some cases, uh, we only starting from the chemical composition of the nanopollution we found inside the bodies, we could understand the disease. And in some cases, only eliminating the exposure, if it was still present, we were able to depress the symptoms to improve the health life of the patient. That it is, uh, for me, a success <laughs> because uh, as a physicist, I helped a person uh, to, to recover and to understand. It is important, the understanding of the disease because uh, you can give the right drugs if there are drugs for, for some diseases. Thank okay. you so much, Dr. Gotti. That was a lot of great information. And your work that you've brought to the forefront has made me change my perspective on diseases. And I just wanted to ask you, for those that are suffering with nanoparticle, nanotoxicological issues, are there solutions to remove these nanoparticles from the body? It is very interesting, <laughs> impossible question. <laughs> I, have, um, I told you that when you have this pollution inside the body, there are no physiological mechanism of elimination of these particles because they don't recognize uh, this uh, pollution. That it is uh, these foreign bodies, these foreign bodies. I published some articles about leukemia. And uh, I verified that in the blood of persons affected by uh, leukemia, um, there is a pollution, traveling pollution in the blood circulation. This, uh, the concentration of this pollution is very high, higher than uh, that of the uh, normal person, uh, the healthy persons, of course. So in that case, I think that there is a possibility of the elimination of this pollution with nano-equipment, equipment that use nanotechnologies. So I presented a project to the European Commission five years ago, but it had no success. So now I don't see any possibility to eliminate immediately this pollution. But you understand that when these nanoparticles are eaten, 
inside a, a cell, you don't have any possibility to extract uh, these nanoparticles from uh, the cell. That it is a, a new problem. Yes, you can try to, to make a detoxification with natural products, but of course, uh, I think that there are no present solutions for that. We can hope. But, but I work with uh, fight fighters and the security persons who worked in ground zero uh, after the Twin Tower collapse. So I wrote an article immediately after the collapse and I wrote that New Yorkers had 2,800 dead people for the crash of the Twin Towers, but in the next year, they will uh, more mourning. And uh, after two years, so someone read the article, and after two years, <laughs> I received a telephone call from New York, and, and they asked to, to go there and to verify the situation. That was an easy provision because I saw a lot of dust released in the environment, especially in the upper part, due uh, to combustion of uh, two airplanes, uh, the part of uh, the skyscraper. Uh, and, but uh, after, during the collapse, uh, a lot of uh, dust was released. So the persons who were present and inhaled these uh, uh, pollution, uh, they had uh, a lot of uh, foreign bodies internalized, especially the uh, workers uh, who remained uh, in uh, the area for three months in order to, to clean uh, the area. Okay, and at the time uh, I was present during uh, an experimental, uh, experimental procedure of detoxification of some of these persons. And they made exercise, they made strong sauna, and after they had a lot of vitamins uh, ingested. And I didn't believe about this soft procedure, but one firefighters and a policeman uh, very high person, two, two meter uh, high person, and they told me that uh, they felt uh, weakness. Uh, and uh, uh, after the sauna, they expelled brown uh, sweat. So the sweat is, is colored, <laughs> no, no color at all. At the time, I understood that probably this sweat was a good sample to keep and to analyze. And in fact, I had the possibility to analyze the, the sweat. And I had discovered that some of this pollution were internalized in the fatty tissue. So during the sauna, the pores are open and a part of this pollution can be released, part of this pollution. Then it is a, a novelty, and I described this, uh, this novelty in uh, my books. Uh, I wrote uh, three books about nanopathologies, but I cannot read uh, this phenomenon in the medical uh, books. Also because uh, uh, the medical doctors uh, are accustomed to study 
in all the books. <laughs> they don't know anything about nanomedicine, about nanoparticles, about, about environmental pollution and so on. There, there is a, a gap. And uh, um, I should like to, to form a, a new school about uh, these new diagnostic tools because uh, they improve medicine. That it is my, my opinion. So uh, I hope that uh, when this uh, lockdown <laughs> will finish, uh, probably I can uh, make a, a school of uh, nanopathology, nanotoxicology, something. Okay. It's uh, amazing that, well, my theory for the uh, 1985 Lake Tahoe mystery illness, chronic fatigue syndrome, was that we were being doused with silver nanoparticles, extremely high concentrations. And one of the weird clues that everybody has forgotten about is that people had brown sweat and they became reactive to their own sweat, allergic to it. Yes, I believe you. Silver is oxidized in a short time, so it can be also sensitive to the UV of the light. So you have also the color of your skin changed for this interaction. I wanted to ask you, Dr. Gotti, why do you think doctors today are not being taught about environmental pollution? causing disease? Um, it is a problem of the cultural background because at school, school of medicine, they have normal classical medical doctor as professors and they have no cultural background in chemistry, materials, in environment and so on. It is a new, a new part of uh, field of medicine and uh, not only but uh, in the world i am uh, one <laughs> of uh, the few scientists uh, who work in this field why because uh, i have uh, a background in physics so i know the, the law of physics uh, and the law of nature also and uh, i have a background in uh, materials i am a material scientist but uh, I studied also anatomy, biochemistry, biochemical chemistry, um, biology, of course, uh, during the specialization. But also I have worked for more than 30 years in a school of medicine. So I taught biomaterials, medical materials, uh, biotechnology, uh, and so on. And I have a wide experience also of the medical practice, of the medical approach to the diseases. I went to the surgical room, to the autopsic post-mortem room, and in many cases I had the possibility to, to, to keep the right tissue to be analyzed. So it is another problem. For instance, I had many collaborations with medical doctors, of course, and uh, I asked uh, uh, specific tissues, post-mortem or biotic tissues of, uh, of uh, the patients. It means uh, that uh, in, cancer, uh, in cancer tissue, I don't want the internal part of, of a tissue. 
the medical doctor, the histopathologist, uh, made already the diagnosis. So that is perfect. Then I ask the interface between cancer and the healthy tissue. I analyzed more than 5,000 specimens of pathological tissues. And in many cases, it is possible to have this part. And at the interface, I find a lot of pollution, not the size of the cancer. And my hypothesis is that you internalize this pollution. In many cases, you have also a selective uptake of this pollution for uh, the dimension, chemistry, uh, I don't know exactly. So you have uh, a concentration of uh, these uh, particles in a special uh, place. So many particles uh, around the cell have uh, a high probability to have uh, the possibility of the entrance inside the cell. It is my opinion that it is sufficient that one nanoparticles can reach the DNA, you have the high probability to have a modification, a damage of the DNA. I wanted to give you an example. You know that the fertilization of an egg, human egg, <laughs> in vivo, <laughs> is due to the spermatozoa. Higher is the concentration, higher is the probability to have the fertilization by one of a spermatozoa of the egg. When you have few spermatozoa, the fertilization is um, controversial. You have a few possibilities. To, to, to have the entrance of the spermatozoa. But uh, when an egg is surrounded by many spermatozoa, they create the right environment in order that one is able to go inside and to fertilize the egg. And we are in a similar situation because uh, higher is the concentration of the pollution, higher is the probability to have the entrance of some nanoparticle inside the, the cell and to in, induce a damage. Of course, if the damage is heavy, you have the death of the cell. So in that case, we are safe. But there is a possibility that one nanoparticle can interact with a few genes, a, a, a small string of genes, and induce damage compatible with the life. Of course, after you don't have a normal life, but you have a surviving of the cell, that it is a pathology <laughs> that can be heavy or, or not. But the damage, uh, the disease is triggered by the, this interaction, this nanobi interaction. Wow, thank you, Dr. Gotti. What equipment are you using to analyze the nanoparticles within the diseased tissues? With uh, my first uh, European uh, project, uh, I bought uh, the first uh, scanning electron microscope of a, a new type, environmental type. It means uh, that uh, can analyze uh, the cell living tissue. Yes, 
And uh, so uh, I developed uh, a new diagnostic tool, new, new investigations. Uh, now I have a field emission gun, environmental scanning electromicroscope, <laughs> because uh, we, uh, we understood that uh, there are many nanoparticles and we need a, a powerful instrument with a high sensitivity in order to identify also nanoparticles because you know that now we are surrounded by nanotechnology and so on. We have nanoparticles in clothes, we have nanoparticles in food. Recently, I had an old patient affected by cancer of the stomach, and inside I found a lot of titania nanoparticles. <laughs> yes, because probably you know that titania in nano-sized form can be added to many chocolates, for instance, <laughs> because you know that with the passage from winter and summer, from the frozen temperature, the very hot temperature, and the chocolate can have a change because there is a separation of the cocoa butter from the chocolate. So you see a white coating of the chocolate. It is safe, but you have the separation of the cocoa butter from the substrate. So if you add chocolate mixture, titanium nanoparticles, the mixture is more stable and you don't have this effect, but you eat no biodegradable titanium with no nutritive effect. And you have a lot of this contamination in food in order to have a mixture uh, more aesthetically uh, good, <laughs> so so that it is a problem. Wow, yeah, that that definitely is a really big problem. When you analyze diseased tissues, are you able to identify the source of the nanoparticles? So you know that it is a component, like it's titanium or it's silver, but it's hard to then trace where someone may have gotten this pollution? Another good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told you that I am like Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> but, but uh, of course, uh, I have some limits. In many cases, I could understand the, the source because I, had, I could talk with, with the patient. So I um, posed probably the right questions, but because I, I supposed a possible origin. In other cases, believe me, it is impossible. My first case was interesting because I had a patient of my boss, a patient of my boss, he was a medical doctor, of course, he was also the dean of the faculty, and this person had strange symptoms. He had a periodic fever, not very high, for two or three months after they diminished, no fever, and after they started again. 
so he had visited uh, four hospitals. But uh, when he arrived in uh, my hospital, uh, he had also serious problems uh, in uh, the liver and in the kidneys. And uh, the medical, the nephrologist, uh, tried to, to understand the disease. Of course, granuloma, cryptogenic granuloma were present in the liver and the kidneys. So the, that was an objective presence that uh, the medical doctor had to, to answer, to, to explain this granuloma. Um, granuloma is a biological reaction to something. Something can be parasites, can be bacteria, probably in some cases viruses, but it is not the case. And uh, I offer to perform a new investigation. <laughs> and uh, the nephrology, believe me, because he, he had no, no other answers for the, the problem. And I discovered the presence of a ceramic debris, five micron sized, not nanoparticles. So I asked to discuss with the patients. And I asked if he worked in some field, specific fields. He constructed houses, for instance. I asked the place of working. I asked many information. But uh, if he smoked, uh, but uh, uh, at the end, after two hours of uh, um, discussion, uh, I had no, no other solution <laughs> to propose, and I asked him to open the mouth. And uh, I wanted to verify uh, the dental uh, status, because at the time I taught dental materials at the College of Dentistry, because I am an expert of materials. And when I, I asked this, the patient told me a strange story. Immediately I verified that he had two dental bridges made in porcelain, highly worn, highly worn. But the patient told me that these uh, prostheses uh, were wrong immediately after uh, the implantation. And uh, he told me that after a while, he had uh, lacrimation, tears, spontaneous tears from uh, the left eye. He had uh, a earache on the same uh, lateral uh, section. And uh, he went to the medical doctor. He had antibiotics, but the pain continue, <laughs> continues to be present. And after, he had also a pain in the back, and he became a bruxist. Bruxism is a dental disease, and during the night, when you sleep, you have that the brain try to find the right position of the teeth because the occlusion of the two arcades are wrong. So you have you emit a noise due to this mechanical movement. So I understood that these prostheses were wrong, badly made, and they induce the pains of the, the symptoms of the head. 
and they were highly worn. So I suppose that there was a release of debris of porcelain also because the chemical composition of the debris in the liver and the kidney were similar. So I asked to extract the prosthesis, to analyze them, and I found there was, a, I verified that the composition of the debris in the liver and the kidney was porcelain. <laughs> so, and it was the first time that very big <laughs> debris, micrometic debris, had the possibility to passage from the colon mucosa into the blood circulation and after to be entrapped uh, in uh, these organs. They are filters. And of course, uh, they stopped uh, this uh, pollution, but uh, of course, they induce uh, granulomatosis. And uh, only with extraction of uh, the prosthesis, I stopped the uh, proliferation of this contamination. And uh, uh, the medical doctor, of course, uh, gave uh, cortisones uh, to the patient in order to de decrease the inflammation, and uh, the patient uh, recovered. Not completely, but uh, the, the morphology of uh, the liver decreased uh, and uh, returned normal. And, uh, of course, uh, there was uh, no, no need to go into dialysis that was the hypothesis of the nephrologist, if he couldn't solve the problem of the gramotosis. So after that, I verified other cases. And in my books, there are always a chapter called investigative stories, because I write about the cases that I solved because I had the collaboration of the patient, but because also had the possibility to check the chemistry of the pollution inside and the pollution outside in the working place, in some place, different places, different places, because you don't know <laughs> where you can have this pollution. You don't know the exposure, the possible exposure. Dr. Gotti, thank you so much. And I feel like the work that you have done and being in the inventor of nanotoxicology is very, very revolutionary. And being a female scientist is very empowering that you have gone down this route and you have made these discoveries. And I honestly, in my heart, feel like this is important work if we want to have a healthy society, we need to start developing some solutions to this. This is, this is kind of scary information. But in more than 20 years, I had a few, few help, believe me, but by medical doctor. Few medical doctors wanted to discuss with me and recognize the power of this approach that it is uh, the problem. But uh, believe me, now we are working with aerotoxic syndrome. We are working in SIBS syndrome. SIBS means sudden infant death syndrome. So when you hear about mysterious diseases, that it is work for me. <laughs> because, yes, because it means that the normal medical approach is uh, not uh, solving the problem. 
is necessary a new approach, a different approach. And my investigations with scanning electron microscopy can help in understanding the problem. I did a work in molds because I had no possibility to have a real mold, a natural mold, and to have the pathological tissues of the patient exposed to these molds. And I suppose that in many cases it is very difficult to recognize molds in the biological samples. That it is the limit of my technique because molds, but also bacteria, have a chemical composition similar to the normal tissue. That it is the problem. And it is difficult to recognize from organic tissue to human tissue. That it is a limit because I see the difference due to the atomic concentration of the particles respect to the human tissue. Yes, but also in this case, I, I sold some cases. Yes. Years ago, I discussed with Dr. Gotti the possibility that certain molds were processing nanoparticles and emitting them in pathogenic concentrations. And I was wondering if Dr. Gotti has uh, experienced that or seen any evidence of it. Yes, uh, I could uh, be effective and successful for the nature of, of a mold. I am sure, I am sure that the molds can induce diseases. Also because in many cases it's replicating also inside the body. So it is a foreign body, organic, but foreign body inside the human body. I am sure that can induce symptoms and so on. Of course, if I had another research project, <laughs> probably we could develop a new type of investigation specifically for mold. Of course, there is no money for research, <laughs> especially in, the, in this case. The other question I would have is that the United States and China are both going crazy with silver iodide cloud seeding. And I was wondering what you foresee might happen from dousing the uh, environment with silver iodide ultrafine particles. Silver is a problem. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, you are right. I published an article where I saw images of a silver nanoparticle embedded in a brain of a baby died in unknown cause. So I know that it represents a foreign body and silver nanoparticles can have a direct interaction with some proteins like gold. They are similar and they can induce a nanobi interaction that create a new aggregate, something new inside the body. A part is organic, a part is inorganic. So uh, I don't know how the immune system can see uh, these particles. Uh, probably the immune system recognizes them as uh, something not self, because one part is uh, similar to the, the organic parts of the body. Silver and uh, gold uh, are unknown, of course. And uh, there is a reaction, I'm sure, yes. 
but uh, of course, if the autoimmune diseases are not my own field of research. So I had, I never had samples of persons with these symptoms. Also, it, it is difficult to say what is the best sample in order to analyze the disease because the autoimmune diseases are systemic diseases. All the body is compromised. So um, it is a very difficult uh, to have a meaningful sample of the disease. Probably the blood, I, I, I don't know, sorry. It is a, a limit of, of my studies. How much money would we need to raise to start that project on looking at toxic mold and nanoparticles? Uh, it is uh, a study that I cannot uh, verify alone. We need uh, other scientists, microbiologists, uh, experts of uh, molds, of course. And, uh, but uh, uh, so four, five uh, equips uh, of uh, research, I, I think that they need at least one million of euro because many different uh, tests must be performed in vitro tests, but also in vivo tests, in order to, to understand also what is the, the best sample, a more meaningful sample to analyze. It is an intriguing research, yes, but until now I was unable <laughs> to, to carry on. I send you my best and I really hope that you're able to get this this branch, this school of nanopathology, nanotoxicology going. And my last very important question is, how do Keely, Eric, and I sign up to be students of your program? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, I think that in Italy I can find uh, someone because uh, I am known for my uh, research, my studies. Um, but uh, my final goal uh, is to create uh, an international school. And uh, um, I want uh, to have uh, students from the medical uh, school, but also students from uh, physics, uh, chemistry, and so on, because it is uh, really an interdisciplinary study. And I want an interdisciplinary school, of course. Yes, well, when I form a suitable equipe, <laughs> I have an equipe, but of course, I must have the force <laughs> to plan a school and so on. Well, I really hope that you get that school going because I'm ready to fly to Italy and be your number one student. <laughs> okay, well, okay, I hope, I hope. I wanted to thank Eric because it is a pleasure to see him again. I hope in good health. I see you, so <laughs> I, I think that you are in good health. Um, and uh, I hope that we can share some information also in, in future, okay? Yes, I hope this is not the last. We definitely would love to keep in touch with you and yeah, just learn more. Your books are coming on the way to my house and I'm going to read them all page by page. Okay, bye Kaylee. Bye Dr. Gotti, thank you for your time today. Thank you everyone for joining us today. We had Dr. Antoinette Gotti, bioengineer, physicist, originator and creator of the terms nanopathology and nanotoxicology. She's thinking about running a school and getting that going. 
We are so excited for the information that she provided us today. If you want, I can give you some detail about my book that I wrote. And there is another one on advances in nanopathology. And it was released at the beginning of this year. Great. Yes, everyone, if you just heard that, please go to your nearest library, go to Amazon, go to her website, order her books, because this is important information that everyone, I think, should know. And I will go ahead and provide Dr. Gotti's information below, as, as well as her diagnostics company that she has that you can consult with. And again, thank you so much. Please like, share, comment on our content, and feel free to donate to our cause on our GoFundMe and Patreon pages. Thank you so much, everyone, and we will see you next time.